Chris O'Neill, welcome to the latest Fearless in Devotion. Uh, what a dramatic weekend. Tim, you were there. What was the game like? It was, I mean, the game on the whole was was pretty dire, to be fair, but it turned into one of those ones, one for the ages matches, really. Um, you know, we haven't had many decent away games to kind of list off or reel off in the non-league, to be honest, but we've probably had a few within the last sort of calendar year, Halifax, Chesterfield, and now Oldham, and it all seems to be kind of driven by circumstance, really, which is usually a combination of Wrexham not playing well, um, managing to turn it around late on, and a last-minute winner um, and crazy scenes. So it was just, yeah, we weren't, we weren't really at the races. We kind of expected Oldham to have a bit of a, a reaction to Unsworth and, and their, their sort of quite extensive change in coaching staff behind the scenes. So... Yeah, I was expecting a, a reaction from them, but what I didn't expect was for us to make um, Mike Fond that looked like Thierry Henry in his prime, which was a slight concern. Um, he was winning everything, heading everything, holding the ball up. He was um, he was really good, to be fair. I think he was the man of the match. But yeah, I mean, the way it panned out, I mean, credit to Parky again, made changes, could recognise the fact that they were needed, um, took three of them on. They all made a, a really big difference. And um, yeah, Toza makes amends for his mistake the goal and uh, as does does Howard really probably probably could have done better with, with their goal but he he punts it upfield for the the passage of play um that ultimately leads to the uh either the first goal or penalty I can't remember now but yeah it was it was it was really good. The the scenes were incredible. Um the scenes inside the stadium were incredible, I should say. Yeah, we'll get on to that. I mean, I was listening to it at home and obviously it was a Ratcliffe-inspired uh, first half, but it sounded terrible and I was just thinking, here we go again. We've gone to another ex-league club and we've not performed in front of a big crowd. I mean, what I was just thinking, do we have too much off the bench for for 95% of the sides in, in, in this division? Yeah, um, we could all see it. I mean, you know, we're, we're not the footballing experts, even though we all kind of profess to be to a certain element. But the lad next to me said, I can, I can sense another Halifax coming here. And I said, you could see you could see that the Oldham players visibly tire in the last 20 minutes or so. It was obvious because it was wave after wave of attack. They couldn't really figure out what the best way of dealing with our players was. Um, and when you bring off, I think Unsworth alluded to it in his post-match comments, he said he looked over and they were all men, as in six-foot giants. Unlike, you know, obviously didn't really uh, measure up Elliot Lee correctly. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the, uh, Dolby was brilliant. Lee, you know, very incisive, that, that clever pass to Toza for, for the equaliser. And I thought McAlinden made some really good runs down the left when he came on as well, considering he's had no game time. That's- yeah first game since what May time whatever it was so yeah really really impressive and, and that's the big difference now to last season if you if you, if you did a comparable side by side of the bench we've got now to what we had last season the, the poles apart and yeah. we, we've, we've got it we've got the strength we've got the depth and more importantly we've got the the team ethos nobody sat there whinging that they, you know they're complaining they're not getting a game they can't complain they're not getting a game because because of the run we're on no, fair enough. Look, we'd be amiss of us not to mention the scenes that were outside the ground. Uh, they were well shared. Um, I know I know a lot of the national papers picked up on them. And, you know, this is the problem you're going to have now, that stuff like that, which may have gone under the radar a little bit more, is being picked up because it's, it's all of a sudden it's Ryan Reynolds' 
fans in in a dust up. Um, I mean, you know, scenes scenes like that are terrible, aren't they? But I just don't think I don't know. I just can't see them going away anytime soon. I think it's just it's just ingrained in the culture in in many ways. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's been as it's been around for as long as we can remember, isn't it? And it, and it it's never really going to go away until those those uh, punishments handed down from the courts are, are more stringent, really. Um, you know, the police and stuff have only got so so much to work with. I think what what I found infuriating was you know, having pitch battles in the middle of the street. There's there's women and children on the buses seeing this happen. There's there's people peering out their windows thinking, is my car window going to get put through? And there's bottles yeah. flying everywhere. You know, if, you, if you're so intent on doing it, in the middle of nowhere on an industrial state where nobody's going to get it. You know, it's not, I'm not condoning it in any way, shape, or form, but use your noodle if you're absolutely intent on wanting to beat the shit out of somebody else for supporting their team. Yeah. It, it just, it just, it's just because of the scale of it, it, it obviously gathered headlines everywhere. And yeah, they're just very unsavory, very unsavory. And, and we can keep saying it, we can keep saying, oh, well, you know what? Um, Rob and Ryan will, will they're aware of it because obviously they, they've narrated the one of the recent episodes of the documentary yeah. about it all um but there's being aware of it and then seeing the impact of it um it, at different different levels and you know we, we can say until we're blue in the face that oh yeah but yeah it won't have any impact on whether they stay or not how do we know that at what point does do they look at it and go is my brand and my reputation being tarnished? By incidents like this, especially if they end up being of a similar scale on on, on a more regular basis, that's the worry. Because they're not yeah. inclined to stay around; they can pull the plug anytime they want. You know, yeah. and, and, and this provides one of those reasons for them to do it. That's the big, the big concern as well. I, I, I know what you mean by that. I mean, I, I was going to sort of mention that that uh, documentary episode. I mean, I thought it was quite needless when I first saw it. I thought. Is there really a need to address this this problem with like loads of stock picks of you know English fans fighting? Uh, I didn't think it. I didn't think there was. But then it you know literally 48 hours after that that episode came out, we had this in the middle of Oldham. Look, I know it was a lot of Wrexham fans and a big Oldham contingent. I know we haven't played each other for quite a while. I know there may be some history about something that happened in Manchester 18 months ago. But 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 come on, you know this. <laughs> it goes very from one extreme to the other for me sort of thinking we don't need episodes like this to to it being stark in front of me and I think that was the annoying annoying thing really for me it's just it's just I can't see it going away anytime soon but anyway let's move across I mean you know let, let, let's 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 you know for for any sort of balance you know we, we gotta we have to say that you know the olden fans were no shrinking violets in all this either oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. To every story you know there's more to it than maybe meets the eye it still doesn't excuse it i think going back to the documentary thing it's kind of a you're kind of in a damned if you do damned if you don't situation if you the argument or the perception by some people will say if you speak about the hooliganism then you're almost validating what 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 is happening or you're, you're validating and I'm rubber stamping their actions. However, if you don't address it, especially what happened at the Torquay game and, and them visiting, then you're ignoring the issue. So I think I think there was a lot made of the documentary. I think a lot of people said that they didn't feel it was it was necessary. Um, 
and you know anybody who sees the stock pictures of, of some ultras fighting in Europe and thinks that's Wrexham then maybe you need to watch it back it's clearly not Wrexham but I can see why some people might feel aggrieved that they could think yeah. it's a bigger issue for us than maybe what it actually is but it, it's done it's done with and you know and regarding Saturday I'm sure there'll be there'll be appropriate action taken in, in regards to that the club have put out a statement again um, you know it's something that you thought they wouldn't have to be, be having to do on a regular basis, but they have put it out and yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, look, we've got a really good guest who talks really well and we're really excited for you to hear him. But, but before that, I mean, documentary wise, okay. Yeah. The hooligans one was, I wasn't a fan of it. I thought it was one of the weaker episodes, but you hell, you know, that's just my, my opinion. And I can see where it's, where it's trying to educate people across the pond because they don't have anything like this. Um, the other one, um, the rehabilitation of Phil Parkinson. Thought it was a great episode, uh, and I thought Parkinson, you know, considering this time last year we were paying for his head, you know, he's come full circle now, isn't he? I think we're really starting to see the man. I mean, you talked to him uh, a couple of months ago, didn't you? And more, it wasn't more about football; it was more about his life. And how, how did you sort of come across to you, Tim? Yeah, I mean, you say that the rehabilitation. I mean, it, we all, I don't think there needs a bit of a context around it. He's, he's never been a man, bad manager or a bad man. I just think, and I had this conversation the other day, and with the greatest respect to our previous podcast podcast guest, Dean Keats, anybody who comes in after him is probably going to look a great deal more passionate, and that's with the greatest respect to Dean. I just think he comes across sometimes a little, little bit placid in his in his post-matches and this, that, and the other. But he is a passionate guy. They're just very different animals. But sp- yeah. having speak- spoken to him, he, he does, he already has a great affinity with the club. He cares deeply for the people, for the staff, for the players, the fans, the community. Mm-hmm. He's obviously moved here now. Um, but yeah, really, really nice guy. And I think out of all of this documentary, one of the big winners to come out of it is him. Because there was, there was a little bit of reticence on his part whether to to have those cameras following him or having a, an input. I imagine he had a, a say in what where the cameras could and couldn't be. However, we've got an idea of of where he is as a coach in terms of his passion. It's no different to what he was like a player, very com- combative, combative, combative. That's the word, and just very forward thinking and and and, and straight to the point. If you shit, he'll tell you. If you're playing well. He'll tell you if you need an arm around the shoulder, he'll do it. And um, we asked Steve Park and his assistant in, in, in a week at a Gorsal Reds meeting, what you know, what what's he like and what's your friendship with him? Because well, we don't we don't sort of you know do do a vast amount together away from the pitch. He said, but we just we just click on it, and he will tell me if he disagrees with something I say and vice versa. And that's why it works so well, and that's why it's worked so well at two previous clubs with them before Wrexham. But a really really good guy, and. I think from what the fans are seeing of him on the documentary, people yesterday people were even watching him on the touchline, you know, looking at him to, to react to certain things, and he was raging at, you know, p- possible red card for Tollett. He's, he's, he <laughs> he's become his own meme. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I just think you know, I think whatever happens here on in, um, he, he's kind of he's probably freshened up his own career going forward. You know, whether it's yeah. at Wrexham in future or somewhere else. I just think he's done him, he's done himself no favours, probably on like an, on a smaller scale to what Coleman did for Wales. You know, you kind of come in with well, it's sort of an all right record. Um, obviously, he's done well at Bradford and stuff like that. Didn't quite work out for him at Sunderland. He's come in, 
and his win record is is very 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 good and until that ever starts changing I, I don't see why we should be getting on his back at any point right great thanks Tim look you're fed up with listening to me and Tim talk so why don't you listen to me and Tim interview Jordan Ponticelli who is absolute breath of fresh air He was the Huntington-born striker who wowed us on loan. The Coventry City graduate was electric with Dean Keats' side with two goals in five games, including stunning performances against Bromley and Chesterfield. We were all overjoyed to get him on a free when he left Cov, but despite being industrious displays, he was unlucky with injuries at the wrong times. Most noticeable away at Notts County when everything seemed set up for him. Injuries meant he was held back to 55 appearances, many from the bench, with only six goals during his time at the race course. However, no one could ever question his work rate and his desire, and we all look at his career with our old mate Steve Cleave at Kings Lynn with interest. He's banging them in now, and I think we all want him to get back into the Football League. So welcome, Jordan Pontecelli. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you, mate. Cheers. So first off, Pontecelli name. Doesn't sound very Coventry. Where's that from, then? Uh, that's, from, that's from Italy. Italy, yeah. It's not Nanita um, or Coventry born that. So yeah, your dad's so um, yeah, it's my dad's side, um, but it's quite a long way down the line. So for me, um, although I've got the name, I am very, um, very British and Coventry. That's about it, really. They've just got the name, but I suppose it looks good on the back of a football shirt. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it will cost you. Know, it costs you a bit more if you want to get Ponticelli on the back, doesn't it? Yeah, the family ate it. Whenever I go to a new team, they have to buy a new shirt with the uh, all the letters. So yeah. So you, you can't really trace it back to to like a, a, a sort of region in Italy or anything like that, is it? No, no, I think it's too far. Um, yeah, like I said, I think it. To be honest, I'd probably say it's a great, great, maybe great again, granddad. Um, so yeah, it's something that um, I've never really been able to um, put a finger on of whereabouts. But, um, but yeah, like I said, I was just fortunate to uh, keep the name really. So, so what's the, so the nickname associated with that? Is it Pont, Ponticelli, Ponch? God, I've had anything and everything. Um, Ponch, <laughs> uh, Jay Harris, when I was at Wrexham, used to call me Poch, and then that kind of... Um, I mean, yeah. I've never heard that one before, but that, uh, that started... Well, that's, that's a day, isn't though, isn't it? Yeah, um, JP's the, the, uh, the easiest one. That's the one that I've had kind of all my life, really. Um, and then George, Geordie, all that sort of stuff. But yeah... Um, just tried to abbreviate as much as anyone can, really. <laughs> so tell us about your youth career. Were you always a striker? And did you think you were always sort of like a little bit better than everyone else? What I mean by that is just because you're a professional, it's it's like when you're coming through the sort of like youth system, did you sort of think, well, maybe I could make make a make a career of this? Um, to be honest, I was the complete opposite. I um, I was nowhere as a young boy. I was always always good enough to get them trials and them chances. It's just, it never really worked out. And um, as for position wise, I used to play right midfield. Um, okay. And back in the day, that was just kind of like where I used to like playing. I'd always score a lot of goals from there. Um, but that was kind of my comfiest position really. Um, but yeah, growing up, it was always grassroots football. Um, I'd be training three nights a week, playing Saturday and Sunday. I'd, all I did was football, um, but I was never at a professional club to say. 
um, had the trials at the likes of Coventry. Um, yeah. But uh, whereas Leicester always always in um, in and around it there, but never got offered anything. Um, so yeah, I, I was always in the eye of some academies, but never never really got that chance to come me. Um, it was only until I'd probably say the back end of my time at Leicester, where I was kind of training with them, that a coach there did say to me one time, he said, I think you're a striker. Right. And I remember, sit, I remember sitting, uh, standing there as probably a, a 13-year-old boy going, I'm not. Like, I, I just assumed I was still doing the same same things as what I do out on the wing. I was like, well, that's me. I was kind of comfy. But um, I never really thought of anything um, of it then. Um, and then when I was, I think it was 15, um, I signed for a team called, um, it's uh, called Hinkley, Hinkley Leicester Road now. Um, and that was brilliant for me um, because as soon as I was 15, I was playing um, a year above straight away. Um, halfway through that season, started playing under 18s at the age of 15. Um, mm. But there I kind of made the transition to play um, to play as a striker. And um, for me, that was brilliant because I went there and I was playing, obviously, um, a, a few age groups above, um, which physically helped me. Um, but it kind of got me into that game mode of being a striker and um, scoring goals, which I was doing in abundance. And um, I yeah. just started to really enjoy my football there. Uh, turned 16 um, and straight away, uh, the manager there, a guy called uh, Neil Lyon, um, brilliant coach, um, helped me kind of progress as a footballer, really, and kind of really kind of got me to where I am today. Because um, it was one of them where he took the chance on me as soon as I was 16. He gave me that. Um, chance to play in the first team at 16 and um, and kind of strived on from there really um, but yeah that that was kind of how it all started throughout all my young career I'd never been anywhere and to be honest I, I kind of think that was the best way about it for me um, I really enjoyed my football I played with all my mates and um, I only signed professionally when I was 17 and that was at Coventry so right, um, okay. it's kind of one of them things where you kind of think oh, is it too late but um, for me it's something that I think helped me enjoy football more. Um, you're playing with your mates week in, week out. You're training with your mates and um, you're kind of not on your own on day release and doing your own thing and it's just a selective group of you. Um, but yeah, that was um, that was the way about it and kind of playing adults football at 16 has kind of helped me um, progress the most to then obviously push on and go to um, professional football. So Yeah, that sounds a bit, a bit of a... I'm not going to say a strange way to get into professional football, but it doesn't sound the norm way, does it? Yeah, it's, you know, not, it's not. quite known for its for having quite a good youth academy. You would have thought that maybe they would have seen you and brought you on before. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, to be honest, yeah, I um, when I got signed for Coventry, when I was um, at the time, um, it was the back end of my first year scholarship, but obviously I was at a college then. Um, Obviously, I was on trial at Coventry for like the last few games of the season and um, and scored a few goals and done really well. And that's obviously how I got picked up. But I remember the, the manager there, a guy called Jason Fund, and again, great coach that I had under 18s. Um, he just kind of asked me, why has it never clicked? And me being honest, I'm, I'm very honest with myself. And I, I just kind of said, well, maybe it's because I wasn't ready. Because um, yeah. you have to look at that. I, I was always a good footballer and I knew that. Um even throughout the age groups, I always knew that I wasn't better than everyone else, but I knew that I knew the game better. I, I kind of understood it more. 
Um, and I knew that there was a good chance that I could make something out of football, but obviously maybe not everything clicked um, for me to get signed. And like I said, I had to be I had to be truthful with myself and maybe that was the reason why. And then when obviously I had the chance at 17, um, yeah. it was at a stage where I had found my position, which was a striker. I was scoring goals regularly and um, I was happy in what I was doing. And um, yeah, I think that was just obviously the right time. Um, but yeah, again, is quite an unorthodox way of getting into the professional game. But um, but to be honest, I, I, I look back on it now and I signed I signed for a professional club at 17 and I was playing in the Football League at 18, 19. And like the transition of having nothing to kind of that for me was like, looking back on it now, it's something that I would have never dreamed of. Um, especially when you're going through the school years and you've got a lot of friends that are kind of in academies and, doing better than you um you kind of have to try and keep yourself going to kind of get to where they are um mm. but yeah it was it's definitely a different way and um but the way I look at it is when everyone asks me um I always say look it, give, it should give every kid hope because I, I had nothing do you know what I mean and it's yeah, yeah I was never signed I was never one of them boys that um from the age of six all the way up to youth football and um and start of men's football that they were always signed i, I I had none of that. Um, and I, I, all I had was coaching from um, what other grassroots football players had. So um, that's the, that's to me, that's the way I look at it. And um, it should give anyone and anyone hope that wants to play football. So, I mean, listening to that, it's almost sort of like you, you sort of value it a little bit more than maybe someone who came through the academy system because, you know, you, you didn't have it and then you did. And now you sort of, you know, it, it's sort of, it sort of came to you quite late. So it's like, it, it means a little bit more. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Well, the first year scholarship, obviously um, I did that at the Strachan Football Foundation, which again was um, a massive period in my career that again, another, another stepping stone that made me the player I am today and helped me get on. The coaches there were brilliant. Uh, George Mackey, Shea Thompson, Dan Elliott, all of them guys were brilliant to me. Um, but yeah, it's uh, when I was going to there, it was it was kind of like a full time thing, um, like uh, Coventry City would do, or um, or your Premier League football, where you're in every day and you train and you uh, you're playing games, you do your education. But obviously, the Strachan Foundation is non; you don't get paid for that because it's not professional. Um, okay, yeah. But obviously, that was a choice I had to make after leaving school because I was like, what do I want to do? And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just thought, right, let's. I'm still good at this football thing. So let's kind of push on with it. And that was the next stage for me. Instead of going to college, I went to a football college. Um, but every Sunday I had to go and collect glasses at um, a pub in commentary called Unicorn. And that's something that I didn't want to do. I'd wake up on a Sunday and I'd be like, I do not want to start work at two and finish at eight, just going yeah, around yeah. picking up glasses. But it was something that I had to do to get money to be able to drive from where I live in Bed Bedworth um, to go to my college um, in rugby, that was something mm. I had to do to fuel my car or pay for things to try and do that. So I know the the kind of, if I don't work hard for it and don't put everything into it, I know where it could be again. And I don't, I don't want that. So like I said, it's something that is, a, it's a good life lesson really. And um, it's, it gives you that incentive to go and work harder than anyone else and want to work harder than anyone, yeah, yeah, anyone yeah. else. Cause you know that, if I don't and I have a two or three year period where maybe I'm just not doing it every day and I'm not trying every day, 
I'll be back collecting glasses at that pub. And I'm like, well, that's not where I want to be. So um, like I said, it's all, it's all lessons, but it's all good life lessons. And I think that's, um, for me, it was probably the best way around it um, to get where I am really. So. Yeah, I mean, that's a very honest assessment, to be honest, uh, Jordan. I mean, if we, we sort of like go through the Coventry career, so 24 games, I think I'm right in saying, a um, couple of loan appearances. I'll be honest, when you came on loan to us, I was amazingly impressed. Like, I, I really was. Um, two games I've already mentioned in the intro, away against Bromley, away against Chesterfield. I thought you'd led the line superbly. I really did. I mean... When you're when you're a player at Coventry, you played a few games. How does a loan move sort of come about? Does it sort of come about from you know someone wants you, you have to go, or is it sort of like a, a given two of you? Like, oh, I'd quite like to go there, but maybe not, or I'd go there, but maybe I need to be guaranteed games. I mean, how, we don't know. How how does it really work? Um, there's so many scenarios in that. Again, it's the industry and in football. Um, so there could be the way there. Um, obviously, for me, it was a time where um, where we had just got promoted from League Two, like I said, my first professional yeah. year, which was amazing. Um, especially at a club which was so local to me, it was brilliant. Um, I couldn't have asked for anything more in that season, to be honest. Um, but obviously, we had just got to League One, and yeah, like I said, I'd done very well to play quite well as many League Two minutes as I did. Um, and again, that me uh, being truthful, I thought I did deserve that because I worked hard for it. And then, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's one of them where, like you say, you get your chances, and I felt I, t- I took majority of them and done well. Um, but again, within within that year, was it enough progress to then stay at a League One club and keep playing? Maybe not. Um, which is that truthful assessment of yourself again. Um, so obviously, for me, the first chance was to go to Maxfield. Um, I mean that that didn't work just down to injuries. Um, that one was very unfortunate for myself. Um, but yeah, that that obviously one way of loan move can come down to play uh, game time. Um, other ones can come down to the fact that football is a business at the end of the day, and it's kind of balancing the books. And if they get this player in, can he go out? And um, yeah, also it's kind of like if a club does want you, um, instead of them having you permanently, if they can't afford to have you, then they can have you on loan for a bit and see how it goes. Yeah, um, yeah. But there is obviously, as a fan, you kind of see, oh, he's been loaned out, but that there is probably four or five different scenarios that um, means that you kind of go out um, from the club and you look at all the Premier League clubs, they're chucking everyone out on loan into the Championship or League One. Um, mm. And again, that's probably a four or five year plan because they're probably going, well, you go and play some games. Um, and then in two or three years after you've played 40 games a season at that level, you might be ready for us. So um, there is all um, so many different ways that, um, kind of get put into place for loan moves and transfers and stuff. Um, so it's not just yeah. obviously one particular thing. And I suppose the one thing that fans would look at it is and go, oh, well, he's not good enough. They don't like him, so he's gone out. Um, there's loads of ways that people can look um, that the um, people can look at it um, for reason why yeah, people yeah. go out on them, really. But yeah. I mean, probably Coventry fans wouldn't have said that about you because, you know, you're young and they probably want to send you out to to toughen you up a little bit and maybe see yeah, how things exactly, go in the yeah. future. So, I mean, I mean, Keats, Keats brings you in. Um, you land here with, I mean, you land here with quite a few other lone players, actually. Keeler Dunn, uh, a guy yeah. called Dan Jarvis. It seemed like a, yeah. a, he seemed like he'd done quite well in the, in the transfer market 
at, at that point. Did you sort of like drop into that team and go, there's some good quality here? Um, yeah, and it's one of them where I think you get good quality kind of wherever really. It's, you kind of, you can't look at it as if you're dropping out of the Football League, especially at that time when I was going from, um, obviously I know we were in League One at the time, but for me in my yeah. head, League Two, because obviously that's what I just come off the back of. Um, but it's kind of one of them where it's like, there's quality everywhere and especially at Wrexham at the time I, I think um, obviously Dean Keats was very interested in having me because I think um, I think I played against him when he was at Warsaw um, right. we played him in the checker trade I think um, I think I came on at half time that game um, but obviously he's quite he's not far from where I live anyway he's a Midlands guy anyway so I think mm. he might have heard of me before but um, but yeah it's um there, there was more than enough quality in that team and there was the season after and there was the season just gone and there is now. So um, I think there always has been. Um, and again, every the whole time I've been there, even including the loan, it was always a, a great bunch of lads on the pitch and off the pitch. They were all um, good quality lads um, and that was something that I could never fault with them, really. So. Yeah, I mean, I just remember that sort of loan spell, really. I, mean, I know I keep sort of t- talking about yeah, those yeah, two games, yeah. but just... Just for me, it was like, I mean, I was there for both those games and I went, wow, this player, I mean, you, you were quick, you were direct, you were constant trouble to, to their defenders. And I, were you firing on all cylinders then? Was that you at your sort of, at your best, no. really? No? no, I'm going to be honest. I haven't been for the last two or three years and that is only down to game time. And um, it's one of them where, I come, to, I come to you guys off the back of a loan move at Tranmere where I didn't play and I didn't, I wasn't playing football. So I'd been for four or five months kind of stagnant, just sitting there. And before that, I had been, uh, and the season before that, the start of it, I broke my foot twice. So I was out from September to probably January um, and then got a couple of, um, a couple of sub appearances in League One for Coventry at the time, the back end of that season. So, you're probably looking at two years of no football to then come right. on loan to you guys. And me, I was, I, I, I genuinely, I, I had that problem at the start of this season. I wasn't fit because I'd come off the season of, um, come off the season of kind of just being the that bench guy. And you can never get fully fit in football as much as I, because I'm, I'm a genuinely fit lad anyway. Even if I've been out for six months, I'll come on and like, like I did at them games, I will run my heart yeah. out and I will be able to do it because I'm, I'm a fit, fit lad. Um, but, the the match fitness and the 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 kind of the quickness you want is never there um, after them periods of time out of not playing um, because match fitness is completely different. Um, but yeah, to be truthfully honest, no, I don't think I was um, when I come to uh, come to Wrexham on loan. But um, but I suppose it obviously COVID cut that short. But that was the plan for me to obviously go there and and get that fitness back as much as I can. Um, to then obviously kind of see my other options after that. But obviously, like I said, yeah, yeah. COVID did cut that short. But um, but yeah. I mean, so if we sort of like move on towards the permanent move, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I, w- I, w- I was personally delighted when we got you. I mean, I mean, was when you sort of looked at your choices after after Coventry, was Rex from your top choice? Did, did the fact that you had a relationship with Keats and you knew sort of the crowd and, and, and maybe it was a big club in in slumber. Did you sort of think, well, yeah, I, I, I can make it there? 
Yeah, I'm going to be honest. There was no other choice that I wanted to go with, to be honest. It was one of them where as soon as, obviously, we had, as soon as we went back to training with commentary and it was one of them that I kind of knew that I was going to be going. Um, mm. When Dean Keats was obviously still at Wrexham and they were still showing the interest, it was just like, well, you gave me that chance when, like I've said to you, I weren't playing for two years. So it was one of them where I wanted to go and give it again. Um, and like I said, the fans really um, were really, really on board of it when I was there on loan. So it was something that the whole community and the club and the manager and obviously the players that were there before um, when I was on loan as well, it was something that really attracted it to me to obviously go there and try to impress again. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of there was no other thought in my mind, really. Yeah. I mean, so looking at the start of that season when you did join permanently, it was a two year deal. Um, I mean, Kwame started. You were you were behind Jake Bickerstaff and 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 Adi Adi Yusuf. I mean, w- was that a fitness thing? Did you accept that, or did you know? So that, that um, I done. I, if you can remember, we played a preseason game against Telford, and right, to be okay. honest, that was the start of a really uh, a bad a bad season for me, injury wise, and it it was it was just. It was new. I'd say it was a new experience because I've never really had that sort of trouble of not being able to play because of injuries. Obviously, I know I broke my foot, but these ones were muscles. Um, But I come off that game and done my hamstring. And it was one of them where I thought, well, maybe because it's pre-season, it might just be tired. So first few games, obviously, I was out and I I couldn't play. I couldn't run up and train again, which was frustrating. Um, But because it was because it was new and I hadn't experienced it, my hamstrings are strong, regardless whether yeah, yeah. they're going or not. They are strong. That, that wasn't an issue. It was just always something that I just thought, well, it's happened once, so it's it's not a problem. Let's just recover and kind of go again. Um, but that was the, that was the, just kind of the the story of that season for me. And um, I'd come back, try to get back to as hundred percent fit as I can after that first one. Give it a couple of weeks, it'd happen again. Um, same again, I'd do my period of trying to recover and let it heal, get back to playing, get back. It would then happen again. And it was just, I think in total, I was out five times with it. And yeah. each each time is a month at least. And then I've got to build myself back up. So that whole season for me was completely written off. And um, I just, yeah, it was, it was tough for me personally because like I said, I've never experienced that before. And um I'm a I'm a commentary boy, so obviously Wrexham's an hour and a half away. Um, yeah, yeah. So the fact that I'm staying up there as well and I can't play, I can't train a lot of the time, and it's like you get to a point where you're like, what What am I doing up here, away from home, kind of just nursing these hamstrings back? And it's like, um, yeah, it was a tough year, but um, like I said, I'm glad to see the back of it in the injury front, but. Um, but yeah, it was just it was it was it was annoying, frustrating, and bizarre, really. But um, but yeah, it's kind of it's happened now, hasn't it? So, I mean, I'll bring Tim in in a minute. But I think there was one sort of part of that season that really sort of hit home for us as fans, and probably you as well, is when Kwame was out in in January, and like you know, suddenly you, you there was a chance for you to have six or seven games, maybe even more, to the end of the season, and we were all like thinking, right, this is where we see that the Jordan that we we want to yeah you know we want to see and 
halfway through that game, he got injured and it was just, we were all gutted. I'm sure not even a patch and what you, how, how, how you were feeling, but it was just, yeah. just, just watching that on TV going, Oh, bloody hell, not again. I yeah, mean, how did you feel after that? I'm going to be honest. I think half my family were kind of watching it on TV and they could see in my face that I was, like, I was on the pitch trying not to get overwhelmed and upset. Cause I'm like, well, like I said, Again, the the annoying thing about that was obviously not for myself, but Kwame got injured the day before that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was kind of like just two players out straight away, and it's like, yeah, for for me, I think that was probably the fourth time that it happened. So I'm mm. I'm on the pitch, and I remember that was the first time that me and Dior actually really got the chance to play together. And all we kept saying was because he's um he he doesn't live far from where I live. Um, so whenever when he joined, it was it was nice to to see him and speak to him because obviously he's a cop fan as well. So we had quite a lot to talk about and a lot to joke about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was one of them where we're always like, ah, oh, we'll get the chance, mate. We'll get the chance to play. And then, like I said, it it came about obviously, unfortunately for um, for Kwame. Um, but yeah, like I said half an hour. It was going well up until then. I thought we were doing. No, no, really I thought well it was as well, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, like I said, when it when it happened, it was just one of them where I went to sprint and I just knew. Um, I knew it had happened, and to to be honest, I I, I am now. Like it was just one of them things where you lost for words. It's happened that many times. You kind of like, well, you want to get frustrated, you want to get annoyed, but you're like, well, you can't because it's happened now. You just got to get on with it, but. Yeah, it was. Um, there was a lot of a lot of emotions going through at that stage of the game when when that happened. So. Yeah, um, absolutely. I can I can understand. But just before I bring Tim in, I'm just going to hit you with a few sort of names from that that season. Just your sort of your thoughts on on them as characters. So, firstly, we're going to go Adi Yusuf. How did you find him? Uh, different, but very good guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's. Um, He's a hard character to explain, but um, yeah, he's a uh, he's a good a guy to have in the change room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna try because he's just it's a it's a hard one. But no, he's a very very good guy. Like he's easy to talk to. Um, loves loves a good obviously joke and um, and laugh. So yeah, he's a he was he was a he was a good mate when he was when we were there, and I still still talk to him now and again now. So um, so yeah, he was he was a good guy, Addy. So. How did you feel when he got off the bus halfway to uh, to a game in? Uh, I think it was Yeovil, wasn't it? Uh, remember that? When, I think it was a uh, yeah. He, oh, he was went that to when Sam he Field halfway down? Yes, yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah, I remember. We were pulling over. I was like, "What the hell's going on here?" And then obviously, Addy's just shot off. But again, that that's the um, like we're going back to the the loan moves and stuff like that. Anything can happen at any time, and I think that was maybe I think that was the last day of the transfer window that when we were traveling yeah, then. Yeah. So it was um, like I said, anything can happen whenever, and um, yeah, that was a bit that was a bit of a bizarre one. I haven't seen that before, but yeah, that um, obviously anything can kind of go on really in football, I suppose. I'm just going to hit you with a few more. Anthony yeah. Jeffrey, how did you find him? Loud, but very funny, <laughs> very quick as well. Um, but funny that we. Uh, I suppose uh, I live with Addy a little bit as well, but we we had a the clubhouse um, and AJ was in there as well. We'll get um, to that. Don't worry, we're going to get to that. <laughs> but um, but no, yeah. Uh, again, very very good, very good guy. I suppose I suppose I've seen more of him than most lads, obviously because of living together and stuff. But um, yeah, genuine guy. Um, easy again, easy to get 
like I said, a lot a lot of them in that team were just it was it was a good group to go into because um, a lot like you could talk to any you could talk to everyone. Um, yeah, there yeah. was no clicks. It was always um, you could just chat to anyone. So yeah, but AJ was a good guy, good laugh. So I was Kwame. I always find him as quite a nice guy on Twitter. So I don't know. Yeah, him, he's I... a he's a friendly giant. Him. He um, I was with him at commentary as well. So we kind of had that little link before. Um, but obviously, at the time when we were at Coventry together, he was kind of on his way out as I was coming through. Um, yeah. But we did cross paths. We did play um, together at um, under twenty three level a few times. And um, but yeah, no, the same again. We, I, um, to be fair, I live with him in the house, and then um, we had to separate into groups of three to then find somewhere to live last season. And he was one of the guys that I live with as well. So, so yeah, Kwame. Um, very good, mate. So. Um, Elliot Durrell, or Durrell, sorry, he likes to be called Durrell. Durrell, yeah. No, uh, Duzza, he, um, I was with him at Mac as well. So, to be honest, there was a lot of lads that I was with before, so I kind of knew um, knew before, obviously, I was going into the changing room. But, um, but yeah, when, when I seen that we had signed him, obviously, we knew that, um, well, I knew that he had uh, a lot of quality to bring to us on the football pitch, but... Um, but again, even though my time at Macclesfield was brief with injuries, um, obviously, again, it was something that because I knew him on a personal level, it was it was um, good to have that in the change room for myself. Um, yeah, again, very, very nice guy, genuine guy. Um, yeah. Last one I'm going to say, uh, Jay Harris. How did you Jay find Harris. him? Jay Harris. Uh, good character. Very, very, very good guy. Um, very helpful as well. Again, he's got a lot of experience. So um, it's he was someone that, everyone would just listen to. Um, doesn't matter whether you're talking about football or if you're talking about what you shop or do whatever. It's like it just whatever Jay says, everyone just kind of listened and kind of went, well, oh, take a leaf out of his book because he just, he, he knows what he's talking about with kind of everything really. He's a um, head screwed on very well. He's just, um, yeah, an, obviously a great leader as well. So it was something that we benefited from and um, yeah, I had a good good uh, relationship with Jay because he, he knew that um, he knew that whenever I played, I'd I'd work as hard as I can for him, as well as everyone else, as well as yeah, myself. Yeah. So, he, he we kind of had that respect as well for each other, and I knew that the quality he had, um, he'd be able to find me as well. So it was something that we um, we liked looking forward to playing um, together. So, just going back to, without wanting to sort of cover it too much, just in terms of, you know, you've come to the club, things are, are taken off a little bit with a couple of goals, then COVID hits. Then you get the injuries creeping back in again that second that season after that. Is there a point where did it ever cross your mind? Because you, clearly you, you've got enough strength of character to overcome those injuries and keep coming back in the way you do. Is there ever a point in your head where you go, I don't know if I can keep on doing this? Because I, uh, I you sort of hear you hear about players who go through so many injuries of varying levels. And it, there is obviously the mental health side of the game is massive now. So I just wanted to touch on a bit more of that, like how it affected you, especially being away from home and maybe a sense of isolation, especially when you can't train either. Yeah, no, it's, um, it was massive. Uh, something, the mental health side of it, I never thought as a young boy growing up, that's something that would affect me playing football because this is my dream. Like, the, like, don't get it wrong. This is something that I've always dreamt of doing and wanted to do. So it's kind of like, 
doesn't matter how good or bad it's going. If I'm a professional footballer, I will always have a smile on my face. That's kind of something you assume as a young boy. And that was some, never something that crossed my mind. But I suppose when, obviously when I went on loan to Maxfield, I hit injuries. Um, obviously then went back to Coventry. We obviously just getting fit. Went to Tranmere, didn't play. So even, even the not playing, that's a massive hit on you. And again, being away from home, the isolation. Um, come to you guys, right, right, it's turning, I'm playing, I'm enjoying my football again, it's brilliant, I'm at a good club and obviously the football's good, I'm scoring, COVID hits, so again, for me, it was something that, obviously, it, it didn't just affect me, it affected everyone in the world, And um, but at that time, I was kind of like, God, how's your chances? I've started to do well and something else has stopped it. Um but again, you just kind of got to get through it, get through get through the isolation, come back to you guys, and I'm right. Let's go again, um, and that's kind of the mentality you kind of have to have, especially in football, because it's it's so up and down, and um, you can never be too high with the highs and too low with the lows, because otherwise, it that is how obviously you get affected by it too much. But um, but yeah, obviously coming back, um, I was in a good state of mind. I was like, right, we'll get get rid of the. Uh, get rid of the um, the lockdown situation. We're back playing football again. I'm happy where I am. Um, and then the injury started coming again. And it's it, it does take a massive hit on you, but it's something that because of, um, I, I don't know how to put it, but because of the experiences I've had, it's something that you need to build that kind of immune to it. You need to kind of put out the... Um, the thoughts in your mind that things are going wrong and you kind of just have to go right if I have a good day today and make sure that I train right rehab right um and go again I'll be back again um and I did that five times in the season to get back fit and try to um get back playing um but yeah it, uh, obviously at a stage where mental health is massive at the minute it's something that did affect me but um when you've got a good core and um I had the isolation obviously not being at not being at home a lot, especially dealing with them things, but my girlfriend, my family, the teammates, like the managers that I've been with, all of them um, in football do help a lot. And obviously seeing them as much as you can and talking to them and um, that kind of obviously helps get you around them things and um, kind of make you want to come back stronger and keep going and not give up. Um, and at the end of the day, like you say, you kind of you have to you have to think of the mental health side, but again, it's your job. So if I'm injured, my job at that at that moment in time is rehab, um, try and get myself back to then obviously to a full fit state. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of ups and downs, um, but you've kind of got to kind of kind of just not ignore it, but you've kind of got to build that block up to make sure that it doesn't affect you too much and that you can just keep doing what you do every day um, to the best of your ability, really. So that's what I try to do. Yeah, no, 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 good answer. Good answer. Um, I always find it fascinating during that COVID season um, that some of the players obviously found work. You got Sean Pearson, which is the most high profile <laughs> one with the, with the pizza deliveries. I think, was it Ruthers that worked in Tesco or something like that? I can't remember. The I, think, I, had I think he works in B&Q, yeah. B&Q. He's still working there now. Is he still working there now? I think so, yeah. <laughs> good old rubbers. Did you, did, did you follow suit? Is that something that, that, that you did? Or I was, I was just always curious to see how, how um, football works. In, in our heads, it's like, oh, well, you know, they're still getting paid. It's fine. But 
you know, people have just gone on to do to do jobs to, to supplement that and, and keep sane as well, I suppose. Um, no, that's something that I never really crossed my mind. I'm still quite young. So, yeah. like I said, my main focus was obviously to just focus on the football. Um, so, yeah, that, that didn't really cross my mind to go and apply down the job centre or something like that. So. Weird time though, wasn't it? Weird time. I mean, yeah, just, it's, some, it's something we'll all look back on and go. That's it's hard to explain how it all come around and what you did. And um, but yeah, I suppose it was the same boat for everyone. So it was um, something that everyone experienced together. Which again, I don't think we'll see again in our lifetime. But um, yeah. but yeah, it was just, it was it was different. It was very different. But before we get to the sort of the, the sort of coming to the conclusion of your time at Rex, just just take us through some of the sort of favourite moments I guess in terms of any specific goal that stands out for you favourite game toughest opponent you know whether that's individually or collectively just take us through some of those memories you've got um, well the very first the loan periods for me um, stand out because it was a time where um, things had been going very bad um, for me personally and then obviously get the chance and um, again it was that go back to that happiness again I was um, I was happy playing. Um, so the Chesterfield game, I thought, I, to the, still to this day, I don't get how we didn't win that game. Um, that that baffled me. Um, but I thought the way that we played, um, the goal that I got was a well-worked goal. Ball went up to JJ Hooper, got the ball, obviously ran through and finished it. I like that. Um, and then same as the Bromley game, I thought we that was a, a great, great performance from the team. I thought we had done very well. Um scored a decent goal in there as well um, but more recently I'd probably say um, <sighs> I'd probably say the Boreham Wood game I didn't start that game it was towards the back end of not the season just gone the season before uh, under Dean Keats that was um, just just because of the way the lads did it it was um, something that um, in football you can't really explain it but 2-0 down and it's kind of one of them where you just write yourself off but the fact that the lads kept going, I'll come on at half time, made a difference, scored a goal. Um, and Reese or Johnson, um, my mate Reese, he, uh, another one I live with, got a couple goals there as well. So that was a good day to remember. Um, and again, an- another one I didn't play, but to get get to the get to Wembley with Wrexham, that was something that I'd done that with Coventry. Um, and it's, it, I suppose it, it was brilliant to do it with Wrexham, but if I was to ever do it anywhere else as well, I know how good it feels because I've done it before and it's something that you can't you can't put a finger on the exact feeling of it, but it's so good for the community, the club, everything. And how brilliant were the fans showing up in that that numbers? Um, that made it even better for us guys. So again, despite the result on that, it was something that um, will be in the memory of a lot of Wrexham fans. Um, to come um, and obviously versus players our, our minds as well so obviously the Covid season when it ended it we weren't um, we weren't doing too great so I suppose the question is and it's, it's, it's it's easy in hindsight to, to look at it in a more objective fashion but if that season continues do you think we had enough to get out of the trouble we we seem to be in and the second part of that was if Dean Keats had been kept on um, and not replaced by Phil Parkinson, do you think he would have succeeded with the budget um, the current manager has? Um, well, the, the back end of that season, I'm sure we kind of 
well, obviously when I come in from January, we had, the results started to pick up and we started to do okay. Um, yeah. And I think that kind of helped with the point, how they did the, um, obviously when the season's got null and void, that's kind of how they decided teams going down and promoted and all that things, didn't they? So mm. I think that, that was something that kind of helped us with the points per game um, to obviously just give us that security. But yeah, again, the, the, the games and the performances I thought were getting better. So I, I think we would have been fine anyway. And for me, I'd have yeah. preferred to have played out the season and not, just get the null and void, um, yeah. null and void uh, decision. But um, yeah, I, I genuinely think with the squad that we had, we would have done, um, we would have done well. Again, it probably would have been a, an ask to push on and go for playoffs at that stage. Obviously, with how it was when um, before I came in. But um, yeah, I, I genuinely thought performances were, were getting a lot better. Um, and as for Dean Keats, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a tricky one because, like you say, hindsight, it's like, would he have done better or not? I, I, no one knows. No one's got a crystal ball. But it's one of them where the back end of... We we start, we went on a good run back end of, um, of his last season there. And would that have helped continue if he was still there with the budget? Probably. But at the same respect, you then brought in another manager with a lot of experience so to me um, to me I think for Wrexham it doesn't matter what they did it was a win-win um, so it's kind of who they kind of preferred maybe I don't I don't know but it, it's something that um, if Dean Keats had stayed maybe more players would have stayed um, more decisions would have been different for people um, and then you maybe just add to that I'm not sure because obviously when Phil Parkinson come in there weren't as many lads there that were there from the year before uh, which then means a lot of changes. But um, in the same respect, we finished second. So it's, to me, I think it would have been a win-win. I think Dean Keats would have done well. Um, and we know that Phil uh, Parkinson done well. So, um, yeah, it, like I said, I think it was a win-win for Wrexham in kind of whatever choice they made um, because of the uh, the kind of budget and the, well, like you say, the, the sleeping giant it is. It's, it's a very uh, attractable club. So, um yeah, I think either way it was a win-win. So if we sort of look at that season um, where obviously Dean's gone, you're still there, you've got a two-year deal, Paul Mulling comes in. Are you sort of like looking at that going, okay, he's different gravy. Are you sort of like looking at him in training going, I can challenge him. I, I can I can get that striker berth like in front of him. How do you sort of feel when you get a, like a high-profile player in like that? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's one of them where you kind of, obviously you want to challenge everyone that's, that's training. It's not one of them where you go, he's too good for me or I'm, I'm better than him. It's something where in football, you're always, you're always challenging yourself. You're challenging everyone else. It, it's, that's just the industry it is. So, um, so when Paul come in, obviously for me, you look at it, you go, great. It's going to help us because he's a very good player. Um, yeah. And on the other side, it's like, cool, well, now I can use him as a as a platform to go, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work towards that. Or do you know what I mean? It's, it's one of them where you, you don't set yourself challenges, but um, it makes you work harder. And it's, it's, it's good competition. Um, and it always is wherever you're at. If, there's, if, if you're guaranteed to play every week, you, 
that's when complacency sets in and so, so it's good to have that um that challenge and that obviously goal to go right well I'm going to work hard and do as best as I can to obviously get there or do this or so it, it's it's one of them where you and again I, I knew him before at Tranmere so I knew the qualities he's had all um, oh, right yeah I didn't realize I, that no so but again it was something where like I, I knew him so it, it would never have been um like that anyway but like I said when he come in I knew it was from the very from the out get it was cool that that adds a lot of quality to our team and it was something that I was happy with um because like you say it's it's I keep saying it's a win-win because it's good for me it's a good challenge and it's a win because when he's playing we're doing well so um so yeah it's it, I'd say it's healthy competition and good challenges so right can we get into the dock because this has probably been the biggest thing that's happened to Wrexham probably in uh, probably in our history, I would imagine. So yeah. have you been watching it and what's your favourite bit so far? Um, I've, I've kept up to date. I think, uh, when's the next one? Tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've just yeah, had the one where... Um, yeah, we just had the one where Ryan and Rob have come to watch the Torquay game. Yeah, then yeah, I've watched, I've watched that one. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Wow, what's my favourite bit? Um, Is there any bit that sort of you thought was thought? Oh, I didn't know that. Um, not really. I suppose mm. probably because I've been there the last two years and all the ins and outs. You kind of know, kind of what's going yeah, yeah. on. Obviously, there's some as a lot of the things that they're doing with the abroad stuff and obviously you don't know anything, you haven't got a clue about all that. So after the programme, when they're off, off in America and stuff or whatever, you, you ain't got a clue about that, the, the FaceTimes, because you, you're not there. But everything else, you kind of knew the basis of what the documentary was going to be, which was folks on the community, obviously folks on the two owners um, and the club as well. Um, so you, And again, you, you, you see things being recorded and you're kind of like, well, yeah, I, I kind of know that that's going to be in there at some point or when you see it you go well I knew that was happening um, and it's kind of one of them where when they're building stuff up you can kind of go oh it'll be this bit because I've seen that happening or um, but could you get like, that like from you, the Rutherford bit in the, in the second episode the Rutherford bit was quite quite a quite an emotional one I think I think it sort of like caught a lot of fans and maybe a lot of people over the pond just sort of you know the fact that he they they built this picture about it you know someone was slagging him off then he got sent off and then you could see his reaction in the in the dressing room to a game you played in you know you know you know what the, the lads were like after that and I think they were quite sort of you know they were quite not apologetic to him, but you know they sort of supported him a little bit. Did you, could you see that coming? Yeah, well, it's it's something where that it wasn't harsh on him, but I thought it was kind of. The, I mean, the way they left it, where it just said Paul for was released the next day, I thought like was a bit. Obviously, you do all that on him, and then he unfortunately gets sent off, and then that happens. But um, but obviously, the things where they get recorded at home, we don't see all that. Um, so I, obviously, I didn't know that they had done all that piece on him. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah. going to his house with his family and kids and stuff. But um, they did that after. <laughs> really? Uh, again, it's, like it's, it's something where I know that they were offering it to some people, and obviously, I've been asked as well when I was there. Uh, but it, it, obviously, it was something where it was 
do I want that with my family? Maybe not. Um, but yeah, it's, um, like I, say, I suppose, I suppose whilst you're there, it's something that, um, you kind of have to get used to. And obviously Paul did. And, um, I suppose you have to expect that if things aren't going your way and there's a documentary being filmed, it's not going to look like, um, exactly how you want to or how you try to interpret it. But, um, but yeah, like I said, it, to me, that was a quite an emotional, um, yeah, yeah. I, I an emotional so episode. Us, so, yeah. but again, I think that's because how Paul is, it was something that he's a down to earth guy. It's something that, um, even him coming on and doing that against Dagon and Redbridge, everyone knows that isn't him. So it's something that just, it was just unfor- uh, uh, an unfortunate sequence of events for him. And um, like I say, that episode, to be fair, I think did show that quite well. Um, and yeah. it paints that picture with obviously the the, the family um, stuff before that as well. So, I mean, just before I hand back to Tim, I mean, there was another sort of part in, I don't think it was that, documentary i think that's episode i think it was the one after where you guys were in the house and i know you don't say anything about this but you they discussed mullin's salary and i know there's been a lot of like twitter debate among wrexham fans was that right to do that should they have really done that was it was it a bit a bit sort of was it a bit sort of shady on him i don't know i mean obviously you didn't really i mean you were out of this you didn't comment on it at all but yeah no I, I didn't see that I, sort of do you sort of like feel for cam green and and dan jarvis in that situation uh no because i don't i don't think they said anything wrong in my opinion i didn't say anything at all but i don't think they said anything wrong i think if you're gonna have a laugh you can have a laugh about it and i i know paul hmm. mullen he he wouldn't care like it, the lads are just having a joke so um, if they had said something out of line, yeah, like if you're getting if you're getting um, abuse on Twitter or social media, then that's your own fault for not kind of watching what you're saying. But um, me, like I said, I mean, I, I, it was something that I, when we do interviews and stuff with the see the media and stuff, and um, especially for the documentary, it was something that you'd all me. I'm quite. I'm not saying I'm they're not but I'm clued on with it I know that if this is on camera this can go anywhere so why would I try and say anything or accidentally say something that could jeopardize what people think of me or whatever I mean I I don't care anyway but why would I give people ammunition but yeah I I think that that episode because all I was seeing was people getting hammered for it and I was kind of like what what's kind of gone on so obviously I flicked towards it and thinking to be honest I don't I don't think there was one bad word said. I think it was all fun and games and just joking. And like you say, yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. is what it is. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think none of them were out of line. None of them said anything they shouldn't have. So, um, like I said, again, it's something that someone can have their own opinion on it. But, um, yeah, I don't think anyone said anything out of line that they shouldn't have. So, who was your best and worst housemate in, in the house in brackets? It was the messiest. It was the loudest. It was the biggest pain in the ass. Come on. Um, well, I could, I could probably put the best and the worst together because oh. he was the worst, but it wouldn't have been the same without him. Uh, Dan Jarvis. <laughs> and that's, and you ask anyone else that lived in the house, the answer would be exactly the same. Um, great, great lad. What, honestly you couldn't like hasn't got a bad bone in his body he's too funny he likes obviously prack he's um lo- loves to joke about love anything he can do to 
get a, obviously a reaction out of anyone and everyone. It's just, it, it, it's funny to have him around. But then when you want to cook your own dinner and he's got pans that are left there from two nights before because he ain't washed them up, or you got no bowls or plates left because they're all in his room because he's gone upstairs, ate it, and just left it there. Um, shoes everywhere. Honestly, you'd come in, you'd come in from training, probably with his boots still on. He'd take them off at the door and then walk up half the stairs, take one sock off, rest of a sock off, get to his bedroom. There's shorts on the floor. It, honestly, I've never seen a, a guy like him. But again, living with him, you wouldn't want him to change because it was just, it was something different every day. It was just, um, yeah, it was a good crack. So I'd probably say he was the, he was the best and the worst to live with. So Fair one, fair one. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm trying to think, who, who were you there with in the end? Because I imagine you've shared it with quite a few of you coming and goings, but I imagine there was a few of you there like, that were there for the most part. You, Dan, um, Reese. Yeah, so we were kind of, us, us three and Kwame were kind of, um, the first year we were basically, that was us, we were living in it. Um, and then we'd have a few added on. So AJ, Anthony Jeffries was there. Um, for a good uh, good while Adi Yusuf stayed there until he was able to get a place with his family um, Theo Vassal would stay in there every now and again um, so yeah there was a lot of comings and goings um, and then obviously the pre-season after that season there was just me Kwame and well, me Kwame oh no because we had Cam Green and Tyler French come in I think it was the January um, they come in, um, or well, January, I think Frenchie was, and then towards the back end of the season, Cam came. Um, so we had them to come in as well. Um, and then obviously when the start of the next season, um, we were in there for a month or two, and then obviously we all had to find um, other places. Um, so yeah, there was a good collection of lads living there. Probably six Sorry, are you talking about the death of the house? Is the house no more? Yeah, it's gone, isn't it? <laughs> It was in the documentary. Yeah, yeah the, the yeah, documentary. Even in the documentary, said the house is now no longer there. Um, well, it's there, but it's, it's not used. I mean, I've, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, I thought you meant like it's been demolished. No, 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 no. Yeah, no it's still there. No. Glen Little. The Glen Little room is no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think they've just uh, not carried on the lease. I think that's all it is. So they, so they obviously okay. told us, they told us when we were about to pre season, they said, look, guys, you, we're not keeping that on with the club anymore so obviously I think they gave us a date it was probably like mid-September you need to find somewhere else obviously we're back in what end of um, July so we had enough time and we did eventually find um, somewhere to stay so um, but yeah no that's um, exactly you know, at the time there's probably six or seven staying in there who, who, who spent the longest time in the bathroom my money's on Tyler French but I'm just being stereotypical um, no he was already there it was weird. You come down, you come oh, downstairs. Why, what was he, he doing? Yeah, well, <laughs> you'd say that, but then you come downstairs. You go, "Where's Frenchie going?" He goes, oh, "He's gone on a walk." Like it's, it was weird. It's, um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the bathroom weren't brilliant, so I think everyone tried to take the least amount of time in there. I mean, the most, the person who spent the most time in there actually didn't live there was Theo, because he'd, he'd as right. soon as we get home, he'd have an ice bath, and then he'd have an ice bath later on. So he'd probably be in there for hours and then, but other than that. No one else would uh, probably be in there that long, to be fair. It, were, it weren't brilliant. Um, so he's just somewhere to chuck your head and get showered and change. That was about it. So.
we do something on this podcast called the Fearless and Devotion Moment, where you talk about something that really sort of fills you with passion playing for Wrexham. Is there sort of one game or one sort of thing that you sort of think that stands out for you? Um, well, let me think. For me, I'd probably say the first time I played at the race course, that was probably something that um, that kind of made me feel different. Only because, like I said, the first few games, the first game I was there, it was um, Harrogate away, come on for a couple of minutes. Um, and then obviously we had the other games like Chesterfield away and stuff. But the first game, I think it was Eastley at home that I played. Um, which, again, that was another game I got annoyed at because I scored, but they said I was a and I won. Um but yeah, just walking out, um, it had that old old field uh, stadium. Obviously, the, the fans were there as well. Um, yeah, it, first time walking out of any uh, new stadium really is something that um, that can really get to you. And it was something that did for me at Wrexham because it just um, it felt home. It felt nice. It felt good. Um, and again, it was at a stage where. Wrexham were the ones that gave me the chance and it was something that as soon as I walked out there I wanted to do well um, obviously the fans invoice was good um, and made you want to play better as well so yeah it was something that walking out onto that pitch for the first time um, starting the game was uh, was brilliant and a memory that I'll always keep and again it was something that I'd, I used to I used to like obviously doing it every game but that first time um, even though it was on loan was something that will stick in the memory um, for playing for Wrexham you know, any Wrexham fan will say the same thing, is that we just, we like people who give their all. And I think that was crystal clear with you. You know, I think you said, Definitely. you said all along that, you know, I'll give it my all. And that, that's evident. Sometimes the chances came, sometimes they didn't. But that's, that's just the way it goes, isn't it, sometimes? But as long as you give, you leave everything on that pitch and people can see it, that's all anybody will ever want. So I think, you know, I think it's important for you to know that, you know, you were still well-respected in these parts. I think. Um, that goes without Definitely. saying that, you know, as and when as and when you return to the race course and whatever club that may be in the league, <laughs> we hope, um, then no yeah. doubt you'll get a great you'll get a great reception. But just in terms of, of, of your your time coming to an end at the club, um was it was it a surprise that you released or if it wasn't, at what point did you feel the writing was on the wall for, for you at the club? Um to be genuinely honest, that I kind of knew knew that was going to happen, um, and again, it was again because the club was going on an upward scale, and again, it was something that I was really happy for the club and the community that it was happening. The budget was getting increased, and obviously, that was good. Um, obviously, it attracts bigger and better players, which for the club to move forward is great. Um, but for me, the realization of something where I knew that I weren't going to be playing or be a fixture to me came very very early on in the season and I'd, I'd probably say it was two or three weeks in if I'm going to be brutally honest Wow. Um, yeah. so it was something that after that point I, I had accepted that and all I did then for the season was just play with freedom and kind of go look when I play I'm going to work for myself I'm going to work for the club and that's it and do as much as I can when I play um, which I felt that I did when I got the chances and had the opportunities that season mm-hmm. um, but that realisation for me came very early on and um, it didn't change. I just kind of worked as hard as I could and just left it at that. Really, if anything come of it, great. But I just, I knew, I, I, I knew early doors. Um, 
which is fine. It's like I said, it's something that it allowed me to play with more freedom. I weren't under any pressure. In my head, I was kind of like, well, it kind of is what it is. First few games of the season, I weren't even in the squad. So um, mm. I kind of knew then. But um, that, again, that then doesn't stop me trying and wanting to do well um, for me and the club and obviously the boys as well. So it was something that um, just, if anything, made me play with more freedom and um, probably just worked harder, really, for whenever I was playing because it was something that uh, I was like, just didn't, it didn't really matter what happened to me. Um, just go out there and do what I can and see what happens. And um, I think that helped with a lot of performances last season, to be honest. So I suppose that, that with that in mind, you're, you're putting yourself in the short window, I guess, as well for an impending next move. And that, that's obviously part part of that that freedom and going, right, I'm just going to play how I'd play if I was playing street football. And let's just go with it and see what happens. Exactly. You've got to look at it as a business side. For me, it's, it's a career. And um, for Wrexham, it's a business. So... Um, yeah, if if I was going out there and I was, I wasn't trying and I wasn't, it's it's bad for the club because performance performance levels that they're getting from me isn't great, and it's bad for me because everyone's looking at me going, well, he's not trying, he's he's not running around, he's not good enough, he's not doing it. Like so, for me, it was kind of one of them where don't give anyone else excuses, just go out and do what I can. And um, like I've said before, I felt like I did that last season. So. Yeah. And then obviously a new club, new start for you, Kingsland Town. Um, oh, tell us about the... Cleve. Come on. Come well, on. Hang we, on. We, hang on. And the, we um, want to know about Cleve. Well, no, wait, wait. And the reason I say this <laughs> is that, yes, Steve Cleve and Wrexham have a history. However, in the interest of fairness, it has to be said that Steve Cleve helped facilitate this interview. So credit where it's due. So I asked him, he politely um, provided um, Jordan's contact details um, to, for this to happen. So, so I, have to, I have to be great, grateful and gracious for that. But yeah, I mean, just tell us about uh, how that move came about. And is, is, it, is, it, is it easier for you in terms of location and stuff now? I know it's, it's a level down, but I imagine the aspiration is to get, to get back to the National League and, and then build from there. Um, yeah, well... Um... Where where we train every day is in Ely, which is not far from Cambridge. So for me, it's an hour and a half. It's not too bad. Um, there's a guy who I've played with before at Maxfield who is there as well. Um, he lives in Leicester, so we car share. So it's something that it kind of makes it easier. I'm at home every day now, um, which again helps with the um, the mental health side of it. The fact that I'm seeing family every day and um, that does have a added extra. Um, bonus, but um, but yeah, the the aspiration for me is to always go higher. I don't, I don't. To me, one thing was that I, I didn't want to drop down after I left Rex, and I thought, well, I've I've kept breaking in, breaking into a a top two team all season. I've kept working hard. I've done well when I played for a top two team all season. I always wanted to play at that level. I didn't want to come down, um, but at the same time, you. I want to be playing games and it was something that Kings Lynn we played the last two seasons and always thought it was a good setup. they played good football um, something that interested me um, when the interest came about for me um, but obviously it did mean me having to drop down but it's something that um, you just kind of got to get on with and um, playing football me being on a football pitch and 
doing what I can do. Um, I know that it won't be too long before I can keep working hard to get myself back up the leagues again. So, um, so yeah, the, the fact that Kings Lynn were interested, again, it was a team that had newly relegated, but um, plan for us is to, well, plan for me, um, along with Kings Lynn, is to be back in the National League next year. So it's not like we're kind of on different wavelengths where I want to come down to play to then leap. It's one of them where we both come down, but that's where we want to go. So um, it's a, a good partnership, I think. And it's something that um, we've had a good start to the season. And I think that um, if we can just keep doing what we're doing and keep running results, we'll definitely be up there next year. So, Jordan, tell us about Steve. <laughs> so, come on. so come on. I mean, I mean, he's he's a much maligned character in Wrexham terms because he tried to buy the club about 15 years ago. Didn't quite work out. He has a bit of spats with some of our fans every now and again. Is he a good guy? Is he a football guy? Yeah, he is. He loves it. And I can't fault him. He's at every game. And it's something that he does truly love football and he truly loves King Glynn. It's something that, I mean, I've only met him twice properly. Um, and again, both times I've met him with his... Um, younger boys um, good guy easy to talk to obviously um, can chat to you about anything really um, so in that respect he's a good person um, a good people person um, but yeah he he follows us everywhere like we have um, we have some quite far away games this year and um, he's been to all of them so it's something where you can't fault his commitment um, so yeah I think he's great for the club and the fact that he loves the club um, that much um, obviously it helps with that relationship with the players and obviously the fans and um, to obviously get us where we all want to be really so yeah it's um, a, good, a good guy and a good chairman for the club Right I'm going to hit you with some quick fire questions it's, this is Right, this is stuff about your time at Wrexham. I'm going to hit you with a few more because you're a recent player. So there's, yeah. there's a few sort of things that people want to know about about this current squad. So anyway, who's yeah. the dressing room joker? Uh, Moores is up there. Tozer's up there. But yeah. Tozer is a child. So, and I'll, Hang on, hang if, on. Hang if on. <laughs> Tozer is a child. Yeah, if you... If this can go anywhere, please make sure Ben Toza hears this. He is he is so immature. It's frightening. He's one of the oldest guys in change room, but he's so immature. But you'd never want him to change. He's brilliant. But yeah, he's a bit of a joker. Palms, uh, Palms is up there as well. Um, I suppose uh, Reese Reese Hall Johnson thinks he is, but not. Mm. I suppose with, with a few of us boys, he is, but as a, as a whole, maybe not. Um, Mate, this is the best answer ever. You've covered so Cal- much crime doing this. Mc- McFasden, uh, Callum, brilliant. He's um, he's a good crack as well. Uh, Layton, Rob Layton, he's got a good crack as well. So, do you know what? There, there's not just one you could put your finger on. It's There's quite a few of them that um, they like a good crack. So, yeah. All right, I interviewed uh, Jordan a couple of days ago and he said McFasden was, without a doubt, the dressing room joker. Yeah, one of he's definitely yeah. child. We need to know about Ben <laughs> yeah. Ben Tozer's most yeah, yeah. immature moment. Most so immature before, moment before we, we, we has he got a fart yeah. cushion? No, no, <laughs> I don't think he's that immature. But yeah, anyway, he probably has <laughs> since I've left. But no, it's it's hard to explain. But 
He's just like an adult 30. baby. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's one of them where, like, if I'm if like, we, where we used to eat, you just walk out of the scent and you could turn right and then you come to the main door to turn left into the car park. There's a little door to the right, and it was one of them where I was walking out. I think it was with one of the boys. Maybe it might have been Kwame or Reese, something. I don't know. But Toes had walked out five seconds before, and honestly. Me knowing Toes, as soon as I've walked out the door, I've gone, I guarantee you Toes is behind that thing there. And he just he's walked out like laughing because he's kind of like, you've kind of got me sort of thing. I'm like, well, it's just because he's so childish, you know, like just everything he does is just... I mean, you wouldn't change him though. Like he is brilliant to have because he's just, he gets everyone involved and he is good banter. But it's like the things he does, you just like, mate, just remember how old you are at times. Like, But I suppose his answer to that is just, Never grow up, my but which yeah. is fair. But he's just, yeah, he's um, he is one of them that he's a very good laugh. But at times, you just kind of like you just question what he's doing. But just, there you go, the pe- the pizza yeah, pan of Wrexham. Ben yeah. Sosa, pizza pan of Wrexham. Go on, Andy, keep quick firing. Right, okay. Uh, who's the worst dressed? Worst dressed. To be honest, it could be any any anyone in your time at Wrexham. It could be like the last season. It didn't. We haven't been out much. Um, we haven't had many Christmas dues since we've been because we had a COVID year, so we couldn't go out. Who, who turns up at training badly, though? I mean, with Sean Pearson, apparently dresses uh, particularly awfully. Um, I think he tries to go smart casual all the time, but that's about it. I don't think it's like he's training. having a go, but I think he's... But this is the thing. Everyone turns up in their training gear, so it's like no one really has a proper go. I mean, Joe you know does have a go, Christian Dibble. Sometimes he comes in some nice jeans and he has a go. I wouldn't say I was worst dressed, but I'd say it's the guy that has the biggest go, Christian Dibble. And then, you know what it's I mean? You're getting shouted change. You're like, you just want to chuck a tracksuit on, but he's got some jeans on and a thing, and you're like, where are you going, mate? You're just driving home. But um, <laughs> there weren't he many. Got belt with it? Um, I can't remember, actually. Probably not. Yeah. Um, the, the worst tracksuit I've ever seen was Mark Carrington. He turned up in all brown tracksuit. He doesn't dress bad, but <laughs> it was an all brown tracksuit, and he looked like um, Scooby Doo. I over his shaggy mate, <laughs> horrible mate. We were all mate. It looked horrific. Because <laughs> I, I remember like I did in Labrador. Yeah, he did. Because uh, I did an interview, and everyone said uh, they asked me who was the worst dressed, and this was like a week after I'd seen Mark Carrington rock up in a brown tracksuit, and I went, "Well, it's got to be him." But obviously, <laughs> overall, he's not a bad dresser. I just think. You might have got dressed in the dark that morning. I don't know. But <laughs> that one for me weren't it. Yeah. That was that's probably the worst item of clothing I've seen, but I wouldn't say he's the worst dress. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. it's made me laugh the most. All right. Who's the most underrated? You can say Jordan Ponticelli if you want. Nah. Not me. Um who would I say? Most underrated. Uh yeah, he doesn't get the plaudits for the for the work they do. I'd probably say Dibs, Christian Dibble. Yeah? Yeah. I like How Dibs. good is he? He's very good. Great shot stopper. Like, great shot stopper. And the, I think the only thing with him is maybe a confidence thing because he doesn't play where he could be cut. But other than that, I rate him as a very good keeper. And I think whenever he's had the chance just chucked in out of loads of games out, he's, I think he's done well. So, I'd say he's probably the most underrated, especially. Good answer. Good answer. Right. Who picks the tunes in the dressing room? Uh, that was Toes. Right, okay. Toes, Tell yeah. me about this, all right, okay? Because Jordan Davis talked to me about this last week. You said he plays banging dance tunes? It's more like 
yeah, like house music and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you recognise what it is? is? Is it getting you up for this, for um, this game? It does once, but then when he started playing the same mix for like three <laughs> months on end, it kind of didn't. Right, okay. But yeah, no, like that sort of music to me, I, I, I do like it. But um, there was a stage where it was just kind of right, play the next one. But yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Best stroke worth National League away trips? The worst for me has got to be Yeovil just because of the distance. That and Torquay is just so far. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just because of distance. For me, it's horrible. And I'm from the Midlands. But you don't like so... sitting on a on a bus or anything like that, like playing cards oh, or anything like that? No. no it, it doesn't do anything good for you, honestly. It's horrible. It just stiffens you up. It's not nice. But then even... But it's the going down there, you're like, this is long. And then once you finish the game, you've then got to do that again. So this is that's one of them things where I hate it and I'm going to play it. So whenever fans do it, utmost respect. Because it's one of them where I do not get... a get enjoyed about doing them trips because it's just so far. Um, and every time we go to Yeovil, we stay in the same hotel because around there, there's nothing else. And I don't like that hotel. It's not very... It's, it's crap. Okay, what's the best? What's the best? Um, yeah. For me, you're probably going to have to go for like your, your Notts Counties, your um, Chesterfield. Them, them grounds for me were, were nice. I, I like them grounds. When you go and turn up and the stadium's nice, it's something that... Um, that you just get short for the game again. Um, so. I think Tim might have asked you this before, uh, earlier, but what's your favourite goal for us? Goal? Uh, I'll say Bromley away. Yeah, I'll agree. That's my favourite goal as well. What about fa- favourite Ponticelli hairstyle? Because he's kept. kept no, the that's the last fucking good. question, mate. You've already <laughs> <ruined> it. <laughs> Great minds think alike. I'd say this one now, boys, because it's been it's been a long process, and the worst thing about the exposure for the documentary for me was that it was in the stage I was growing my hair, so I looked like a bag of crap the whole time through it. Because I'm going through this, but it is what it is. I I like it now, so it's something that is different. Yeah, I'd probably say this. I mean, it's a lot more maintenance. It's a lot more hard work. I tell you that, but. Yeah, I, I like the look of it now. Is that a ponytail every day? Um, are, are we talking about a top knot here? It's not, no, a, it's top not knot. a top knot. It's not a top knot. No, no, it's past that. Yeah, yeah, it's past that. And obviously, top knot, you have to get like the. It's kind of like cut off here. I've got hounds, so right. don't help. But I literally only get like a taper like there, and then yeah, the yeah. back bit, so I don't get all the bloody bump off there. But yeah, I yeah, do no, mind the lockdown. I feel, I feel your pain, but I, I don't miss it. But that's the worst thing. Uh, in the lockdown, it obviously had six months worth of growth, and then I first, come, as soon as I come back, I cut it. And I was like, "What am I doing?" Because then that's like six months thingy. But nah, it's what it is. It's here now, so uh, I think it's, so it's here not to stay quite as an well. undercut yet. You, you you've got past that sort of stage, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 at a stage now where I'm I'm happy with it. There's still loads of bits that thingy, but when I slick it back, it's all it's all there. So it's uh it's good enough. Right. Okay, last question in the quick fire. Who didn't you want to fight in that Wrexham team? Jamie Record. Yeah? Yeah. Come on, expand on that. He does look hard. Yeah, you're not seeing his legs. 
Yeah. Like, just his <laughs> legs would scare me. So the fact that, like, honestly, no, it's something that he's one I'd stay away from in training. And um, there'd be a level of banter I'd try and get in his head and annoy him. But then if he looks at me a bit differently because I'm trying to banter him too much, then it's like, just stop because he's a bit bigger than me. So, yeah, there's some someone I wouldn't mess with. Did he wear that nose plaster all the time? See, funnily enough, I did that for him every game. It was like a ritual. Yeah. Because yeah. he had a, he got a nose piercing. Um, obviously, he had to cover it up. Right. So then, and Rex being Rex didn't know what to do. Did, so I, I had to cut it. a breathing it. thing. Is that, no. is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, he had a nose piercing. <laughs> <laughs> so he had, to, he had to cover it, but obviously he was too thingy to do it himself. He was like, I don't know where to put it. So I just did it for him once. And then must have had a good game or something. And then that was it. He just... JP, every time he'd walk over to me as I'm getting ready for the game and he'd be like, cut this for me and then put it on. <laughs> like, oh, that's on. Wow. Now we know. Thanks very much, Jordan. Really, really nice chap, wasn't he, Tim? But very open. Yeah, it's weird because I can't remember ever uh, hearing much about him in, in sort of post-match interviews when he played for us. So, you know, when you haven't heard a player speak for ages and you think, oh, I didn't know he spoke like that. Shouldn't be a great surprise because he's from the Midlands, but really... <laughs> Really eloquent speaker. You to be Italian, did you, Tim? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I thought he'd bust out a bit of Italian. I thought he'd come on with a with a plate of pizza, you know. But all the stereotypes. But really nice guy, and then um, you know we wish him very well at, at Kings Lynn, and no doubt he'll bounce back to the level he, he feels he belongs at. Yeah, absolutely. And, and now, um, similar to to the first part where we, we couldn't really do a docu- uh, sorry, a, a podcast without mentioning the hooliganism. Look, there there seems to be some stuff behind the scenes of the club, which keeps rumbling on, Tim, which, again, I think we, we need to mention in some way. So, you know, we've lost a few high-profile, well, people behind the scenes. I think Brian Grant, the commuter, the um, media officer, is gone. And I think last week, Andy Duff, the commercial manager, left. Do you see a problem with this, Tim? Do you think there's a wider issue here? Or is this just like a, like the incomings and outgoings of a, of a professional football club? Well, there's a pattern emerging which is a high turnover of staff in a relatively short space of time. So, you know, unless that's sheer coincidence and they're not liking their job or they're not liking the environment, then something seems amiss. Um, You know, we're not privy to what that is. um, And and the danger is you're kind of going on here, say, and all kind of roads lead back to, to Fleur Robinson. Um, you know, and again, it, the, or, or, this is merely hearsay, so we're not going to go over the top of it. it, it you know, to to a, a certain point, it's without foundation. We've spoken to to some of the people in passing that that have left, um, not recently, um, well, yeah, maybe, maybe one or two of them more recently, and and there is the suggestion that this all comes back to it not being the most um, endearing of environments to work in, shall we say? Um, okay. You know, so yeah. I, I, it, it's a difficult one, and and you know, we we would be more than happy for for Fleur to come on and 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 give us an idea of what's going on. But from the outside looking in, when you see you know the, the likes of, of Dan and Matt and the club shop going further back to the likes of Ryan and, and now Andy going, um, and it's a very sort of short statement. And then there's there's a few little things I think from Andy and, and Dan Seer that have said, um. I've commented on Rob and Ryan uh, the the bit about the documentary. Go, you know, 
that they read their tweets. I think they posted are. Do they though, as in to suggest, are they reading my tweet as in to say, read between the lines, Rob and Ryan, there's something going on here. I don't yeah. know. It's um, it's dangerous territory for us to, to tread a bit of what we should and shouldn't say. But um, for whatever reason, you know, if it's like in any walk of life, if you come into work and, and three or four people have gone or are going and they appeared happy and everything's, you know, everything's fine and rosy on the, on the surface of it. But if you scratch the surface and people are going very quickly, um, then you, you kind of have to scratch your head and, and perhaps ask, ask for the reasons why, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get what you mean. We, we're not privy to it, all the ins and outs. I mean, we don't want to start a pile on in any way because, again, you know, we, we don't have all the information. All we can say is... Yeah, it does. You're right. There does seem a pattern emerging. If this was happening in my company, the questions would be asked. Um, look, we I keep saying this, but we voted for these football professionals to come in to take the club over from from the trust under Ryan Rob's stewardship. And we knew that there would be harsh realities of this as we become more and more professional. I mean, the interest in the club has gone gone through the roof. I mean, what I would say is, you know, Sean Harvey, there was question marks over him, but I, I take him out of the equation a little bit. You know, we need we needed that hard-nosed football administrator. We knew he wouldn't be the most, uh, well, how do I say this, fluffy person to deal with. He wouldn't always be around the fans. You know, that that's fair enough. But it, it is a worry if there's two levels of this, if you know what I mean, Tim, that if you've got one sort of hard-nosed person at the top, maybe if it if there's another level of that as well, um, it, that that maybe you need some sort of good cop bad cop combination. I don't know. The only thing I would say is you know we're losing we're losing people. We don't want to lose the likes of Geraint or anything like that. Um, we, you know it's it, it's stuff that needs to be looked at, even though we're not party to all the information. Yeah, I mean, alarm bells would really go off my head if Garant was no longer. There. I'm marching. I'm marching. <laughs> yeah, it'd be placards and everything, reinstate him. Um, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because you know we all know the Sean Harvey history and and the baggage that that he came with. If baggage is the right word, probably the history. And strangely, again, the documentary's probably done him more favors than harm in the way he's come across. Yeah. There's a couple of bits which seem to sort of uh, jar in terms of what he said about, about the spending. If you, if you overspend, you're going to be well over budget. But then he, on the flip side, he says, well, you know, it's only sustainable for as long as you want to pay for it or you want to pay for this. I can't remember what the soundbite was. But but yeah, I, I, it's a weird thing. I mean, you know, Sean's running the show in terms of the, the, the player aspect and this, that and the other. But because we don't see Fleur a lot in the documentary by her own choosing, um, that probably hasn't helped their cause either, to one respect or another. But yeah, I, I, I don't know where, I don't know what's happening. Is is the honest answer? And and there needs to be. You're right. There needs to be a bit more of a structure in terms of that, that sort yeah. of power at the top, if you like, because you know, she's in the the cabin outside doing her thing. The the, the management are in in the ground doing their thing. Is there a disconnect? Is that just by, by simply a case of space or lack of space in the ground. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird situation, but I mean, she was at the match the other day, Fleur. She was getting into a car after the game. Um, you know, she goes to the games <laughs> and she, clearly she's, she's 
she must be good at what she does to, to land the role. But yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah. we, 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 we you know, she, she also is in a position where potentially, you know what, if you don't like it, you know what you can do. And I'm not saying that, that that's been the case from her, but you know, you get that in any position of uh, a sort of high ranking position at a football club, you, you get yeah. to call the wider shots of things. And it, it just comes back to, to how it feels and how it looks and having spoken to people on the ground about it and a couple of those people that have gone, there is the, the firm suggestion that all is not well in terms of, um, of a working environment. Yeah, and, and sort of my last word on it really is, you know, we've changed from a fan zone club, which was very community-based, where, you know, a lot of people were quite were quite open um, about what was happening in the club, maybe maybe a little bit too open in, in many ways. And we've changed, we've come through full 360 to a massive professional club with huge amount of expectation and also interest. You can tell that by, you know, how many shirts they they they're pushing in in the update a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, there there are going to be some. How can I say this? You can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. I don't yeah. know if that's that yeah. yeah. And and, and 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 it's important that this entire conversation we've had is not to get too dewy-eyed and sentimental about it because you know there was a bit more of a, a front-facing aspect to it where most people knew those people. Yeah. You know, in the customer service environment, and we can't get a, can't afford to get too sort of misty-eyed about it. It's whoever they feel is the right person for the job, and if they if if they get people in to replace those people who've left, and they come with a you know equally as good background and, and end up doing an equally as good job, then then great. It's just a case of whoever comes in now, how long are they going to last? And they've advertised for posts previously, like a community officer post that's never been fulfilled as far as I can see. Um, yeah. So you got to kind of media editor down, aren't we? Pardon. We're still a social media editor down, aren't we? After all, he left. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's just just one man at the moment in terms of helping with the with the press side of things. It's a lot a lot of output for one person. So, yeah, right. Okay, let's not dwell on that too much. Uh, but as I said, anyone who from the club would like to come on and set the record straight, we're more than happy to to, uh, to talk to you guys. Anyway, that's it. Uh, thanks very much to Tim and Jordan Ponticelli, and we'll see you next week. And hopefully we'll be discussing a uh, a lovely win at Knox County, which is massive as this goes out. Um, huge game, this versus second. A win over them gets us five points clear them, which is not a bad place to be at this point of the season. Did we mention we're top of the league? If not, at the point of, of this going out, we're top of the league. So hopefully we're still there um, by the by close of play on Tuesday night. Well, hopefully Reese has edited it before... Uh, yeah, before then. that'd be nice, wouldn't it? There were a lot of twats, otherwise. One last thing. Fanzine will be available at this Saturday's game. We hope, um, just barring any sort of postal disaster, we'll probably do a Fanzine special for the next podcast where we've got a few good interviews from people in it lined up. We will see you then. Goodbye. Cheers. Bye-bye.